Hello, my name is Michael Albert. I'm the host of the podcast that's titled Revolution Z. Last episode, we had as our guest Howie Hawkins. He's a likely 2020 Green Party presidential candidate, and Howie and I discussed the Greens and electoral strategy, about which we in considerable part disagreed. This time, the election focus continues. In an open letter from weeks back, a group of old SDSers hoped to engage young critics of the Democratic Party. They were directing their comments at DSA and Greens and others who were hesitating or actively rejecting voting for and otherwise seeking to help Trump lose to Biden. I agreed with the SDSers' main concern, but I also felt it was not expressed in a way likely to be effective with their preferred audience. I wrote a reply, largely ignored, that ran on Znet and appeared a few other places as well. I should admit, at this moment, given the incredible flood of progressive writing that is now going on, and the household time and financial pressures on all likely or even potential audiences, that I am skeptical that very much of what is now appearing in public is getting read, or heard, much less seriously considered and assessed. Good stuff is appearing, but in a flood of stuff that is often redundant, sometimes thin, and I think, and this is only an impression, audiences are getting overwhelmed. Still, I thought I would repeat the case I offered in print back then, here, now, on Revolution Z, albeit updated a bit in the interim, figuring that perhaps it would aid the cause. At any rate, I thought the critics of Biden, who the SDSers addressed, actually ought to have been mightily commended for many of their analyses, insights, actions, intuitions, and feelings, albeit not all of them. For example, I think Biden's critics have been correct that Biden is a tribune of power and wealth and of the current socioeconomic system, and not a friend of the poor, the disenfranchised, those doing rote and tedious work, those reviled and repressed by police, those living under occupations and bombs, or those suffering the many diseases of our times. I think Biden's critics are also correct that Biden, Obama, the Clintons, and the establishment Democratic Party power brokers reject fundamental and even just substantial change, and that many such liberals feared Sanders reducing their influence more than they fear Trump retaining the presidency. Masters of war, masters of impoverishment, misanthropes of morality. I think Biden's critics are also correct that U.S. elections don't question underlying social and economic relations, and that the Electoral College makes a mockery of democracy. More, even without the Electoral College and of the electoral process travesty, it would arguably be more accurate to say candidates are bought and sold, invested in and molded, than they are elected. Biden's critics are also correct that even when rhetorically appearing caring and humane, Democratic Party elites like the many TV ads now celebrating frontline workers to sell automobiles, insurance, and whatnot, are ultimately about business as usual. Biden's critics are also correct that as bad as COVID-19 is, multidimensional ecological collapse via global warming, as well as death by starvation, inequality, and militarism, are likely even greater threats to human survival. Death by bombs, death by starvation, death by malaria, and by other diseases— don't galvanize media attention, however, because, well, they are deaths that won't afflict suburbia, much less the enclaves of the rich and powerful. Out of sight, out of mind. And on that score, the young militants' leadership on global warming and their observations that Biden and his overseers offer far, far less than we all ecologically need are also correct. 
Biden's critics would also have been right if they had pointed out that many old SDSers haven't been very visibly active in a long time, save for periodically supporting some Democratic candidate, and that most old SDSers haven't offered much inspiring vision and, most importantly, have never fully followed through on delivering a world worthy of young people's ongoing habitation. Hell, Biden's critics would also be right to point out that boomers writ large overwhelmingly exited my generation writ radical and at a crucial historical moment became anything but Sanders supporters. They could, with that in mind, also reasonably have asked those of us 60 survivors who were still radical why we didn't do better reaching our own peers and how we could think we ever really knew, much less that we still know, how to reach out and organize. They could also reasonably have wondered how come the old SDSers had barely a word to say about young leftist merits or about our own foolish failings. The young left has also been right that while Sanders didn't voice all their desires and didn't legitimate all their feelings, his was a brilliant campaign, program, and project that deserved their wholehearted support. And they have also been right to assert that the program beliefs and commitments of both DSA and the Green Party are monumentally superior to those of the mainstream Democratic Party. But was acknowledging all of that why I responded to the open letter? No. Like the old letter's signers, I was in SDS and the broader left of the 60s, but I didn't write my reply to the old SDSers' effort based on my past membership. Like some of them, I have remained active since, in a myriad of ways, but I didn't write my reply based on that either. Like some of them, I have been and remain a militant advocate of fundamentally changing the racial, sexual, gender, political, economic, and ecological contours of contemporary life, right down to the roots, and I do hope that maybe that will weigh just a little bit positively on what follows, especially since what follows seeks to be heard not by old-timers like myself, but by young people looking around at crushing chaos and escalating pain and trying to find an effective path forward. I offered my response instead because I saw that because of the above views, and many more besides, young militants are the hope of the future. And I offered it because I want more than anything that they should have the room to pursue their own better world successfully. But I also had another dimension I wanted to address. Because for all the many points that young radicals are rightly pursuing, one widely held stance many of them share is understandable, but appears to me, as it appeared to the old SDSers, seriously, even suicidally, ill-conceived. And it isn't that the young are speaking from privilege because many of them aren't in jail, in detention camps, looking up at drones or starving. That is no more legitimate a criticism now than when my generation's then elders, 50 years ago, threw such charges at us as we fought for civil rights and black power, for women's liberation, for the Vietnamese, for the poor, dispossessed, shackled, sickened, and bombed in all lands. We old-timers should remember how we reacted hearing 50 years ago from older leftists, who did have other insights worth hearing, that our form of militants was sometimes suicidal, that our analyses were sometimes misguided, that our anger and beliefs were sometimes the folly of immaturity. We wrote them off, and we didn't look for the elements of wisdom they did indeed have to offer. And now, here we go again, except this time we are the old-timers undercutting our own chance to contribute usefully. So here is the thing that I wanted to tell young militants, and older ones who agree with the young folks on this matter as well. 
I believe you were wrong about just one set of interrelated beliefs. And while in confused times like these, that is a remarkably small debit, the problem is that that one set of interrelated beliefs matters a whole lot. Trump winning in 2020 would be a world historic disaster for all else you believe, feel, and think. To deny that is a huge mistake. When a young editor at Jacobin minimizes the difference Trump winning would make, I wonder what has interfered with his wit and wisdom to cause such a mistake. To deny that Biden winning would be vastly better for, albeit, of course, abysmally short of, all else you believe, feel, and think is simply wrong. To say that Biden would not bring on participatory socialism is, of course, true. To say that Biden would not bring on Sanders' program, unless mightily pushed to do so, is also, of course, true. But to say that Biden's first term in office wouldn't be better than Trump's second-term whirlwind of devastation is ludicrous. Likewise, to assert that not voting or voting other than for Biden against Trump, at least in swing states, would somehow strategically do more to uproot the two-party system, to defend democracy, to expand equity, to reverse racism, or to slay sexism, then would beating Trump while simultaneously working on all those and many other agendas as well, well, that is wrong too. I can see how saying Trump losing would not have such benefits provides rationale for not voting for Biden, but it is just absurd. Retiring Trump would do more for leftist lofty aims than enduring Trump for four more years, and would in no way impede our doing the grassroots work more directly needed to uproot the two-party system, defend democracy, expand equity, reverse racism, and slay sexism, much less revolutionize society to its core. And finally, to say that DSA... Greens and other young radicals' choices in these regards won't matter because other factors are also at play is wrong as well. The election may hinge on fewer votes than those that left actors can swing. And who is better informed to talk successfully with working-class Trump voters from 2016? The young, militant, activists, insightful Biden critics have acknowledged Sanders' intelligence, commitment, and courage. How can you then so easily dismiss his choosing to keep fighting for his whole program, which is in large degree your current program, but also, and as part of doing that, to fight for Trump's defeat via Biden's election. You believe in fundamental change. I do too. I have spent a lifetime trying to give it wings rooted in clarity. You passionately hate those who purvey business as usual over the bodies of countless corpses and uncountable diminished souls. Me too. Hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? You feel that supporting Biden against Trump is signing on to preserving the existing abominable system with, at most, some modest mitigating policies. And that feels to you like a direct route to being what you oppose. And I understand that feeling too. And to an extent, I even think you are right. Slip sliding into being what we hate or contributing to others doing so is not only possible, it is oftentimes rather likely, unless we are very clear in our motives and actions. Hell, many in my generation did just that kind of slip-sliding. But the good news is that the needed clarity to avoid such slip-sliding is easily in your reach. Why not advocate voting for Biden in swing states, where doing so could matter to beating Trump, on the undeniable grounds that Trump winning would also involve a slip-slide? into hellish days well beyond those already endured, if not worse still. 
Why not advocate voting for Biden in swing states, not based on Biden's non-existent merits, but because Trump winning would accelerate the race to destroy the environment that sustains organized human life, and maybe even reaching irreversible tipping points, with mounting and hideous catastrophes along the way, primarily among the poor abroad and at home. Why not advocate voting for Biden in swing states because Trump winning would increase the risk of terminal nuclear war, and because his women would pack the judiciary with young, ultra-right justices who, for at least a generation, would persevere to block any mildly progressive legislation? And why not do it because Trump winning would mean further gutting the remaining structures of popular participation, reducing democracy beneath even its current abysmal state? Of course, this litany of reasons could go on. But let me just add why elderly passions are high, even as leftists who oppose supporting Biden and leftists who advocate supporting Biden in swing states agree on so much else. As old as 60s SDSs are, we have elders too. And I hear them tell me how the Nazi plague engulfed Germany and ravaged the world in large part because the huge German Communist Party refused to join with others to stop Hitler because they saw those others as social fascists, and they felt Hitler wasn't really all that bad a guy. And so when I and others my age hear our elders say they came into the world seeing that mistake wreak havoc, and they now fear leaving the world seeing that same mistake wreak havoc again, it adds to my sense of urgency. Do we really want to risk that for our kids, for the planet, for humanity, because we rightly see Biden as bad to the bone, but wrongly feel Trump isn't really all that bad a guy? So the SDS's point is, it is indeed possible to urge voting for Biden in swing states, and to simultaneously retain radical commitments, beliefs, and integrity, because we want to prevent the obvious known ills of Trumpism, not to mention the extrapolated even greater ills of resurgent fascism. It is possible to do it and not become what we hate, and not only will our doing it not contribute to solidifying existing social relations and not contribute to entrenching existing obstacles to change, it will help prevent those two dynamics and prepare for fighting on. Isn't that what Sanders is doing? And if he can do it, can't his supporters and even people to his left also do it without an iota of compromise, without an iota of hypocrisy? But yes, I know that some who reject voting for Biden will have followed this line of reasoning to this point, but then decide that Sanders is selling out. He seemed good, great even, but he has shown himself a horrible shill for the mainstream power brokers. I have to admit, I don't know how to address those of you who are decrying Sanders, and no doubt jettisoning views of Chomsky, Ehrenreich, and so many folks you have previously appreciated and perhaps even learned from. Indeed, perhaps even learn the views that you now think require you to reject voting for Biden. For example, that the two parties are two wings of one corporate party. But doesn't everyone feeling that way know that Sanders, Chomsky, Ehrenreich, and other such advocates of Biden over Trump, hell, of the nearest lamppost over Trump, if need be, including the old SDSers, are not dumb? Doesn't everyone feeling, I won't vote Biden even in a swing state, and I won't try to help him win, know that Sanders and Chomsky's and Ehrenreich's and others' contrary position isn't due to such folks being unable to draw logical conclusions? I think so. And don't you know that it isn't that these folks have already become, have ever become, would ever become, could ever become mere Democratic Party shills? 
But I think you also can't shake, nor should you shake, that you feel it is transparently obvious that Biden favors system maintenance. For sure, you are right, he does. But my question is, why does that recognition cause you to think you can legitimately and logically conclude that anyone smart and informed who favors voting for Biden in contested states must also be for system maintenance? That anyone who says we can be radical, revolutionary, and true to our values and aspirations, and simultaneously so realize the necessity to be Trump that we advocate voting for Biden, must want system maintenance? That people wanting Biden to be Trump and willing to help in that task must actually like Biden's beliefs and motives? That they must have sold out? Is it warranted to decide Sanders is a sellout and so too for so many others? Or is it the case that if you call those you disagree with your enemies, rather than considering that they might be just as radical, just as revolutionary as they always were, and they might differ from you because they see something you are missing, wouldn't that be doing that which you would ordinarily ridicule and decry? Being leftists who accuse everyone who disagrees with them of being an enemy of change, despite the fully visible contrary evidence of their words and deeds? Isn't that disparagement of the motives of those who disagree with you another slippery slope? I concluded my written reply some weeks back by suggesting that if this debate has to happen, and I noted I had already seen it surging up online, couldn't we all, on every side, at the very least, agree to remove the personal denigrations and agree to stick to the issues, so that the issues might be resolved and we might in the end agree on what is true and what is not true, on what is doable and what is not doable, and thus on where we can usefully act and where our actions, or lack thereof, may do irreparable harm even against our intentions. And, that said, this is Michael Albert taking care and hoping you are too, thinking about what actually can make a difference in our difficult times, and signing off for now and until next time for Revolution Z.